This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. Owners are disappointed but completely understanding of the unavoidable prize money cuts and the usual Derby Day atmosphere will be sadly lacking. None of that will make the slightest difference to the quality of the fields and the standard of racing. The historic star Doncaster Mile heads up an exciting program supported by the Australian Derby, the TJ Smith Stakes and the English Sires Produce, while the Bush Horses will be in town for the country championship final. It's not the kind of Derby day we've grown accustomed to, but we're lucky to have a race meeting at all. And what a meeting it is. All the action will be on Sky One, Sky Thoroughbred Central and Sky Racing Radio. When Ducal Dole went past the post to win a 1,200-metre maiden at Doomben on March the 11th, 2020, she created a special milestone for veteran jockey Larry Cassidy. The New Zealand-born horseman had no idea he had just ridden his 2,700th winner, a statistic passed on to him by his wife, Michelle. As Larry headed for the winner's circle, his mind may well have wandered back to that exciting day 35 years ago when he won his very first race on Rhythm Lass at Otaki on New Zealand's North Island. L.V. Cassidy settled permanently in Australia in 1992 and proceeded to establish his own identity not only in a tough racing town like Sydney, but he had to do it as the kid brother of Jim Cassidy, who'd been here for some seven years and was already recognised as an elite jockey. In 16 years based in Sydney, Larry won three Metropolitan Jockeys Premierships and got to ride some of Australasia's best horses, including the mighty mare Sunline, on whom he won six races. Twelve years ago, he decided on a permanent move to Queensland where he's ridden 600 of those 2,700 winners. It hasn't been all plain sailing. In 2015, he suffered chronic meniscal tears in both knees, which caused him great pain and great stress for more than 18 months. We'll let Larry tell us how he got back into the saddle as he joins us on the podcast. Larry, it's a delight to have you on board. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks very much, John. It sounds absolutely amazing when you run through it like that. Yeah, to look back on 35 years, which has gone like a flash. Yeah, it certainly has. Um, Yeah, I I probably wish I could turn back time like everyone, but, um, you know, it's been a, you know, fabulous career and it's had its ups and downs like everything and um yeah i've still got a few years left in me yet congratulations on reaching that remarkable milestone of 2700 it puts you in a very elite group yeah it was uh i knew i was i knew i only had 20 winners to go from last season and uh, uh michelle does all my um race books so every every meeting Every horse I've ever ridden, um, you know, meeting, date, weight, uh, prize money, prize money earned, mm. is all written down on the computer or prior to computers <laughs> books. Yeah. So uh, it's it's interesting to look at, and it's been I've been able to keep a keep a nice tally, and um, you know, it's it's just nice to look back on and and you know see what you've actually done. 
Yeah, now you started that little book 35 years ago and Michelle took it over when you were married uh, 23, 24 years ago. Yes, done a fantastic job and uh, obviously uh, she can she can type much quicker than me on the computer too. <laughs> Larry, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that I've ever spoken to another jockey who has a career record uh, and accurate statistics for the full length of his or her career. It's amazing. Yeah, it's something that um, when I was an apprentice, my, my boss, Brent Beatty, and his wife, Margaret, uh, said, yeah, you should keep track of every every one of your rides. Um, I was actually started, like when I first started, I was doing trials as well, but that dropped off very quickly. Mm. And I just thought races was uh, was the main thing to keep a tally of. Mm. Do you have any idea of your total number of race rides? No, that um, that I haven't had a tally. That probably probably just take me a day to you know to yeah, to go through each season and and tally it up. It wouldn't be hard to do, but um, yeah, I'm certainly going to get on to that. I do know I've ridden more than maybe close to 300 group enlisted races total. Yes. Oh, absolutely, 42 group yes. ones. You know, yes. you surprised a lot of people in 2009 when you suddenly pulled up stakes and relocated to Queensland. What prompted that decision? Yeah, look, uh, I was just struggling a little bit in Sydney and um, there was a couple of riders came in and uh, I was riding a lot for Gay Waterhouse and, um, you know, I'd finished my relationship with the Hawks team and mm. um, and it was just starting to be a bit of a struggle with, with rides and sort of I suppose it got me down a little bit um, and this sort of carried on for you know, a couple of months and mm. I just thought, well, maybe maybe a fresh start and uh, in, a, in a new state might be the way to go and Michelle's parents are from Brisbane so mm. it, it was fairly easy to um, make the choice to come up here. Mm. Well, you got away to a good start. You won the Queensland Derby soon after arriving on Court Ruler and that yes. immediately brought you under the notice of Brisbane trainers and there was no shortage of rides then. No, no, of course not. It um, it was it was a great start, and um, obviously I was aiming. You know, my first season up here was only half a season. I think I rode um something like forty winners and finished maybe third or fourth on the premiership. And mm-hmm. obviously my aim was to win the premiership the following year. And I actually levelled with Staffy Casitas, the late Staffy Casitas, and um, mm-hmm. um, we we drew the premiership together. So um. You know, it, it was quite a it was quite a good start, and you know, I suppose fittingly for both of us because we'd both had a great season. Mm. In May of two thousand and fifteen, you jumped on a bay filly from Chris Waller's Gull Coast stable in the Sunshine Guineas. Now, obviously, you knew she had some ability, but she had been beaten six times, so there yes. was no air of invincibility about Winks at that stage of her career. Now, in the race, you were stone last of 18 runners coming around the home turn. Do you recall the occasion? Had you written her off? Um, I suppose to win the race, yes, I had. Mm. Uh, But, um, you know, obviously the race is um, quite vivid in my mind and, um, you know, I can nearly ride that race every day in my mind. So Mm. um, as we – I just remember – um, yeah, my instructions were just to we drew a little bit awkward, just 
come back and get on the track and just give her a good chance to mm. uh, finish the race off. Um, and obviously, you know, she was just starting starting her prep again. Um, so I, I when I come back, I had to come back a bit further than I I wanted to mm. um, just to get on the track. But they they were racing sort of you know three deep in front of me. So I thought, well, I'll just come back and just give you an easy easy time of it and you know you'll finish off and as we got to the 600 um horses started to peel out and take off in front of me and you know i suppose i, I could have been tempted to go with them but i just thought well if i if i make a long run from here it might just be a gut buster and mm. um even though i knew it was a one-off ride i, I they told me huey was riding the horse next start mm. uh in the queensland oaks and uh, look, my main goal was to obviously win the race, um, but secondly, you know, you don't want to flatten a horse, you know, for the sake of running fourth or fifth. No. Um, so when they all started to peel off and go in front of me, I thought, well, I might just wait until we straighten, come to the outside, and, you know, you're going to run home, you're going to run a nice, you know, maybe third or something, mm. and you haven't had a gut buster, and then going forward, um, you know, you can have a good prep. Uh, as we turned for home and I pulled her to the outside, I think I must, I must have been spotting them about, oh, a dozen to 15 lengths. Yeah. And I gave her a little bit of a squeeze and, you know, pushed my hands up her neck and she changed strides. And when I was about eight, when I was, I suppose it was about 10 lengths off them, mm. it had this, like a chill run down me. And I thought, I've got you covered here. Yeah. You knew. And, yep. And the acceleration. Uh, I'd never actually felt that in any horse I'd ever ridden before. No. Well, according to legend, you went home that night and you said to Michelle you had just ridden the best horse you'd ever been on, and that includes Sunline, of course. What yes, was Michelle's yes. reaction to that? Was that true? Is that the way it happened? Well, yes. It, it, yeah, slightly the words were slightly different. I, I said... Yeah, you know, Michelle was obviously, you know, the win was an amazing win and Michelle was really excited and, you know, a couple other people I seen were really excited and, you know, Michelle said, you know, what do you think? You know, what do you think of her? I said, I said, wow, I said, she might be the best horse I've ever ridden. Good. You know, I did chuck a mite in there because, you yeah. know, it was the Sunshine Coast Guineas, um, you know, um, and, you know, the opposition probably, you know, they weren't, they weren't group one horses. No. Uh, but I said, I've never had a horse accelerate like that ever. Uh, you know, you know, she might be the best horse I've ever ridden. And, um, yeah. and, and Michelle rattled off. She, she actually looked at me and said, really? Like, uh, and rattled <laughs> off, you know, Sunline and Desert War and Juggler and Saintly and, yeah. uh, you know, that's, I've probably missed about 10 others there that I that I could throw in the mix too. Yeah, well, you're a good said, judge yeah. because that was the first of 33 straight wins. Yeah, absolutely amazing, yeah. About three weeks, actually, three weeks after that ride, um, well, when I went to the races um, for Oaks Day, um, obviously Huey was riding her and Huey said to me, I, I went up to him, I said, oh, did you see her win in the Sunshine case? He said, yeah. He said, well, she um, yeah, picked him up quick. He said, what do you think? And I said, she could be the best horse I've ever ridden. And even he looked at me strangely and rattled off four or five horses I'd ridden. I said, yeah, I know. I said, but I'm telling you, I said, no horse has ever accelerated like that ever. Mm. And 
you know, it pretty much gave me goosebumps. Did Hugh Bowman ever mention that again to you down the track? Yes, yeah, he did um, because mm. I, I said she's got possible champion written all over her mm. and after he won the first Cox Plate on her, he texted me and said, he said, yeah, you're right. Yep. Well, Winx was the furthest thing from your mind, Larry, about a fortnight later when you jumped off a horse at Doombin and you experienced a very strange sensation in your right knee, which you quickly dismissed. You'd been having little niggling knee problems for quite a long time, and at that stage you were not too concerned about it. No. Um, yeah, I, I jumped off uh, jumped off a horse in the enclosure, and it, it sort of, as I jumped off it, 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 the horse sort of shifted abruptly, and as I landed, I twisted, and um, you know, pain in my knee. Um, I went home that night and, you know, put a bit of ice and what have you on it. But uh, I think on the Monday or Tuesday, um, yeah, my knee was quite swollen up and ended up having scans and I had, um, uh, you know, a bad tear into the meniscus in my right knee and also in my left knee too. So um, both of them needed operating on. And it was a it was a long road to recovery. Mm. Now, Larry, just explaining to people who are not aware of meniscal tearing in the human knee, uh, it it is damage to the cartilage that separates the shin bone and the knee bone. Yes, so it it gives it. So I suppose it gives cushioning to both the bones. You know, mm. when you're walking, jogging, or or doing anything, mm. and with tears, which I thought they just go in and stitch the tears up, mm. but that's not it. They actually cut them away. They just keep cutting away until there's no tear. Um, and in one of my knees, I'm nearly there's nearly no meniscus there, so I'm I'm fairly well bone on bone, mm. which obviously um, you know, is is not ideal and extremely painful. Mm. Well, your advice was to take a long break from race riding and spend as much time as possible off your feet. Now, we yes. are talking about a bloke here who has trouble sitting still at the best of times. Yeah, I like um, yeah, I like exercising every day. Um, well, I don't know if I like it too much, especially in the heat up here, but it's just something I'm, I, I'm used to doing. And uh, so after about, I think it was uh, six, six weeks, I... After the initial operation, um, they said you no know, start exercising, and and uh, it was about two weeks after that, uh, I went and rode track work, and the pain was just the pain was terrible. Um, so I went I went and had some more scans, and I actually found that part of the bone in my left in my left leg was dying, um, which was called osteonecrosis. Mm. Um, they said sometimes that happens after this kind of operation. They don't really know why. Mm. Um, and the only way to, I suppose, combat that is to just get all the weight off your feet. So pretty much just sit with your legs up in front of the TVs, be on crutches, just don't be on your feet at all, uh, which I did. And uh, I did that for about two and a half, three months and then started trying to exercise again and then had terrible pain in my shin and I found that I had hairline fractures all the way down my shin. Goodness me. Now, that baffled the doctors, didn't it? Yes, it did, yeah. 
Um, and so they, they sort of said, well, you've got to have another three months off, which was extremely frustrating and, you know, mentally didn't, didn't do me very well. No. Um, I started, you know, obviously eating a lot, um, probably drinking more than I normally normally would. Mm. Uh, put on quite a lot of weight. I think I got to about sixty eight kilos. Can't imagine. Which uh, wasn't too good for my wardrobe because I didn't have any clothes that fitted me, <laughs> which was quite <laughs> hilarious. I was wearing tracky dacks with with um, elastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Um, and you know, I sort of after. I think I'd been off. I'd been off uh, oh, maybe 13, 14 months, thirteen months, and mm. I just I went to the doctor and said, you know, I want to have another go at coming back. You know, my legs, you know, they, they're still painful, but you know, I'm getting, yeah, you know, I'm getting a bit long on the tooth to yeah. um, leave it any longer. And uh, the doctor suggested that I realistically needed another six to nine months off mm. to really let my legs heal, and I just thought that. That just just wasn't going to work for me. Mm. So we we entered into a um, uh, a training regime to start exercising slowly. Obviously, I had to lose a bit of weight first too. Mm. So I went on a very strict diet, and um, I was only allowed to walk a hundred meters for the first week, then two hundred meters, and just build up slowly like that. Yeah. And you know, even though I was on painkillers, the pain was still quite horrific. Mm. And this went on for a month, and I thought this is this is just not working. Um, I was sort of at the mental stage where I didn't think I'd ride again. And I just said to Michelle, I said, that's it. No more painkillers. And I'm going for a run. Oh, she said, you'll break yourself down. I said, well, then at least I know what I, at least then I know what I can do. Um, I'll put a line through me and I can carry on with another career. Yeah. And I did that for a week and obviously the pain was horrific. And then each day it slightly got better and I could see there was light at the end of the tunnel and and I got back riding. It's an astonishing story. You were never diagnosed with depression during that bad period, but looking back now, do you think you were suffering depression? Oh, for sure. Look, um, and I can see I can see why people um, you know, that's something um you know, major in their life that's happened to them, you know, sit on the couch and eat and drink and put on weight. Um, and that's that's what was doing, that's what was happening to me because I just felt, you know, like you're still on work covering that and you can't you can't go out, you know, you couldn't, I couldn't even mow the lawns. Mm. Um, and you just feel, you feel quite useless just sitting on the couch. Um, you know, you've got no direction in life because you don't know, you know, you don't know what the next month's going to bring. And once I started exercising again, you know, I, I got a better frame of mind and I could see there was light at the end of the tunnel and mm. my legs were getting better even though the pain was still there. And, you know, miraculously, I got back to riding. It was a miracle. Fantastic. When your yeah. weight got down to about 59, you just decided to sneak down to Eagle Farm and ride a little bit of track work. And your old mate Chris Munts put you on a very tractable one and away yes. you went, and it was hell. Yes, yeah. Like um, the first morning, you know, I thought it, like I'd lost probably nine kilos. Um, I didn't want to get on a horse, you know, carrying that much weight, um, putting extra pressure on my knees. So I decided I wouldn't get on a horse until I was under 60. And, uh, yeah, that morning, um, first one I got on, I think I, I cantered off and only went about 
400 meters and I like I just wanted to pull it up and sit on the saddle because the pain in my knees was quite oh. horrific mm. um I sort of pushed past the pain going for a walk and a jog mm. but then riding was different again mm. uh, but obviously that just got better and better because I think I just lost so much leg strength too due to the extraordinary prevailing circumstances Inglis will be conducting two Easter sales for 2020 Easter round one will be a fully digital sale which will run from Sunday, April 5 until Wednesday, April 8 and round two will be a physical sale at Riverside on Sunday the 5th of July pending any coronavirus related restrictions at that time. Easter 1, the online sale, will operate in exactly the same format as the regular twice monthly online auction. Two rounds provides everyone with greater flexibility with English's goal being to provide a vital service to the industry to keep trade in place between breeders and buyers. All key information is available at english.com.au forward slash bidding at Easter. Well, your great supporter Brian Smith supplied your first winner on the comeback trail. The horse was called Sony Legend at Doombin. Yes. And, Larry, that was one of the most important wins of your career, psychologically. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, and it was great to, um, to to ride it for Brian. Um, had a great association over the years. He's been a great supporter, supporter of me up here. And uh, that was, yeah, just, just to, to ride a winner for him and, and early on, um, only, I think I'd only been – I probably only had about a dozen rides back. Um, I did take it very slowly with rides, and yeah, it was it was a great start, and and uh, yeah, it was onwards and upwards from there. Let's review the racing life of Larry Cassidy. You were born in Wellington, and you received your early inspiration from your brothers Jim and Ricky. Now, it's yes. not generally known, Larry, that Ricky was always heavy but he made a very good name for himself as a jumps jockey. He was a very oh, good yes. rider. Yeah, he was. Ricky was a, was a great rider. Probably had, probably had, um, you know, more guts than me and Jimmy put together riding over <laughs> fences, how he did. Yeah. <laughs> um, put it this way, I know, I know I couldn't do it. Um, mm. I think he'd broken nearly every bone in his body and knocked all his teeth out. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was very successful. He, he, he owned, trained, and rode um, the Wellington Hawks Bay Hurdles winner, mm. um, which is quite unique. Um, and Ricky, Ricky would ride anything. Um, you know, I, I remember when he was riding. You know, there'd be a horse that um, had had two two starts over fences for two falls, and they couldn't get a rider for it. And Ricky was sitting there. He said, "I'll ride it." <laughs> Feel, absolutely fearless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was he was actually in his early days he was apprentice and worked for Trevor McKee. So mm. you know, there's still there's still that connection there. Yeah. Well, Jimmy Cassidy retired in two thousand and fifteen with one of the most distinguished records in Australasian racing history. Now your achievements suggest that you're a top class jockey in your own right, but you've never put yourself in the same league as your brother Jim. No, not really. I've I've always you know stated that um, you know people always regard me as Jimmy's brother. But I think when I first came over, Jimmy helped helped me 
I suppose, ride out of his out of his shadow. Um, and I always knew that you know Jimmy Jimmy was born to be a jockey. Mm. You only got to look at him. Um, he's just an absolute natural. He would have been good at anything he did. Mm. Um, where I think uh, I've learned to be a jockey. Yeah. And reasonably well, I think. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> 2,700 winners and 42 Group 1s is reasonably well. Yes. So it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been a great ride. You were originally apprenticed to Brent Beatty at Palmerston North. Yes. And your first race ride was an old jumper at Trentham, Wellington's right. very famous track. And it was an ordinary debut, Larry. Yes. Yeah. A horse called New Deal, um, who I'd, Beat, who I'd ridden track work and you know he's one of my favorite old horses that Brent had and um I think I carried like 46 kilos and rode in a big stone saddle and uh, I actually seen a photo of me walking around the enclosure um that day and like I was 15 years and one day old and I looked <laughs> about I was I think I looked nine years old <laughs> Uh, so yeah, very funny to look back on, and um, but it was it was a big thrill to be riding at a place like Trentham because it's it's like riding at Randwick or Flemington. We've already mentioned your first winner, Rhythm Lass at Otaki. She was no Sunline, but she was pretty special to you at the time. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's um, uh, it was a trainer that used to ride track work for at Palmerston North, and um, very astute trainer and. You know, it won at a big price, mm. and I just remember them giving me a $100 note um, in New Zealand, and they were big red $100 notes. Ooh. And I thought, oh, how good is this? <laughs> well, it was absolutely amazing because um, <laughs> like back then, I think back then I was on like $25 a week plus keep because I lived with Brent and Margaret. Yeah, with every uh, second so, Sunday off. <laughs> yes, so, you know, to get a $100 note yeah. sling was – yeah, you know, I couldn't comprehend that. <laughs> it was a, it was a king's ransom, <laughs> for sure. You later transferred to a very well known trainer, former jockey, great horseman Bruce Marsh at Woodville, and your yes. career took off. You rode fifty yeah. winners in your first year with Bruce. You rode a hundred winners in your second year with Bruce, and then he brought you to Australia for the first time in nineteen ninety one. He campaigned horses in Sydney, Brisbane, and Perth. Did you ride a winner on that first trip? Uh, on my first trip was actually to Perth, and it was actually for the Apprentice Special. Uh-huh. And we we stayed on for another week uh, because he had a horse over there, and I didn't ride a winner there. Mm-hmm. But to um, Brisbane, yes, I did. Rode several winners, so Good. it was it was fantastic, Bruce. Um, when I went to Bruce, I think I'd rode 50, maybe 55 winners in my first three years, and then the following year I rode 55. Mm. And then, like you said, another 100 after that, and I pretty much averaged 100 a year from there on in up until recent years. Mm. You have some unpleasant memories about your first trip to Sydney. You were involved in a spectacular five-horse fall during the autumn carnival at Randwick, yes. and you walked away from that one. Yeah, yeah, I remember that um, day. Uh, I was actually on a horse of Graham Rogerson's, and at about the, it must have been about the six hundred meters. Um, um, I think Wayne Harris is in front of me, and I caught his heels. 
um, one way or another. And there was, I fell, my horse went down head first and mm. shockingly, you know, I, my horse snapped its neck. Um, Good. and there was four horses, Malcolm Fitzgerald. Um, I can't think who the other riders were, but they were all sprawled over the track and I quickly jumped up and ran to the other riders. Um, and as I stepped up into the ambulance, my knee, my right knee gave away. So oh. that was probably the beginning of my knee problems. I think that mm. uh, that fall. Mm. Well, Larry, that fall didn't diminish your desire to get back to Sydney and join a powerful group of jockeys. Now you got away to a flying start. I remember this so clearly when your brother Jimmy got you a prized ride on Coronation Day in the George Main Stakes. The horse was a three-year-old. Jimmy couldn't get anywhere near 49.5 kilos and he actually talked Max Lees into giving his younger brother a crack. It was a big start. You must have been a, a little nervous on the day. Yeah, it was, um, you know, because he'd, he'd only had a few starts. Jimmy, Jimmy had obviously been riding him and won on him, Coronation Day, and... Um, yeah, because Jimmy Jimmy was riding a lot for Max, I, I you know, Jimmy didn't go to all the provincial meetings, so I was getting those rides and having a lot of luck. Mm. And um, yeah, lucky enough, you know, I was entrusted with the ride. And yeah, I remember I I, I pushed um, as we as we turned for home and we straightened up at Ramwick. Um, I had Jimmy come to my outside on uh, uh, rough habit, and I I think I angled him out of the way, got into the clear. <laughs> And ran down, fought out the finish with uh, Mick Dipman. He might have Mick might have been on Kinjatay. Yep, maybe that was about the, that era. That was the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that was that. It was it was a huge thrill, and um, certainly, um, yeah, I'd only been in Sydney for maybe shortly over a month, and that was a big kickstart. You can say that again. You pushed Jimmy Cassidy out of the road. And then got up and beat Mick Dittman. That is a flying start. Yes, two of my two of my biggest idols. Yeah, you <laughs> had a wonderful autumn carnival in nineteen ninety seven. Firstly, a Doncaster win for Gay Waterhouse on a horse called Secret Savings in the Doncaster. Now, this horse had won six races in America, Larry, before coming here. He had only four starts in Australia. He won two Group 3s, he ran third in the George Ryder and then he won the Doncaster. He must have gone amiss, did he? Yeah, I'm not sure. He he, oh, he, was, a, he was a beautiful horse, he was. Um, mm -hmm. Lovely looking animal and obviously went on to, went on to stud duties and, and did very well there. Mm -hmm. um, like that morning, there was a very short price favourite, if you remember, um, Muir Wad mm -hmm. was the favourite for the Doncaster that day and... Um, you know, he was he was pulled out the morning of, and yep. um, then I thought, yeah, I had a great chance of winning the race, and um, yeah, we did. Um, so that was that was a great thrill because I'd just come back from Hong Kong as well. Yep. And Michelle was actually uh, pregnant and about to go into labour with our first son, Luke. Mm. And I knew that I had great rides that weekend. I said. Said you better keep those legs crossed until I finish riding. <laughs> <laughs> You're very tactful, <laughs> and because uh, I just I just had this feeling I was going to have a great great weekend. So it was a sad day Monday, and yeah. and she uh, she did well to hang on. 
<laughs> you rode a, a terrific stayer during that carnival by the name of Linesman. He's one of your favourites. Yeah. He won the chairman's handicap by four lengths. He dropped a massive four and a half kilos for the Sydney Cup. Now, you thought he was a good thing. You yep. rode him accordingly and he won by almost six lengths. Yeah, he was um he, he was he was a terrific little horse and uh you know just real tough and you know really probably suited the way Gay trained and uh yeah you, know, you could just you could just let him run along um early you know in the middle stages Gay would say no I don't mind if you're 10 in front you know and then you just give him a little bit of a breather and then as he got to about the 650 700 you'd set him the light again and mm. it would take a it would take a pretty handy horse to go with him and run him down. And I think nothing like a Dane might have run second to me in that cup. Yes, I think he uh, did. I think Jimmy might have rode him then. And, uh, yeah. yeah, he was he was a great little horse. I um, won a few races on him and, yeah, very tough. One of the toughest stars I've ever, ever ridden. He was syndicated as a yearling by the late, great Harry Lawton and he carried Harry's well-known colours, red with the black diamond, uh, in yes. all of those wins. Now, the following spring... He ran second in the Colin Stephen. He ran second in the Metropolitan, second in the Mooney Valley Gold Cup, and then he ran a cracking fifth in Might and Powers Melbourne Cup. You were only 1.2 lengths from the winner, and oh. he wasn't right on the day, was he? No, he wasn't, no. Um, he, he wasn't the same horse. He, he had terrible feet problems, and, um, like, for Gay to actually get him to the race was was an amazing job and but he just wasn't the same he came out of the gates and i had to ride the i pretty much had to ride the ears off him the whole way yeah um and that's that just wasn't him um i think if he didn't have those feet problems you know he might have actually won the cup that day mm. well he got beaten 1.2 lengths and he never stopped trying did he all the way up no the he didn't he didn't stop trying i just i remember me and jimmy Turn for home, first time ever two brothers turn for home going head and head in the Melbourne Cup. Mm. Yep. You've had 13 or 14 rides in the Melbourne Cup in total. Your best result was a third on Umpala in 1994 and you ran fourth on a Kiwi horse one day back in about no. 1990. What was he called? Yes, uh, no, no Botto, no yeah, Botto. Right. Yes. Well, that, that was my first ride in the Cup, so that was that was a huge thrill. Mm-hmm. That was, and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fantastic day to ride on, and and you know, obviously every jockey's dream to 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 win one. Um, now it's probably every jockey's dream just to ride in one. Mm. Um, I've been lucky enough to ride in uh, you know twelve or thereteen of them, and mm. um, you know I've, you know like you say, I've finished. I think I've finished third, fourth, fifth, sixth, mm. seventh, and last a few times, and somewhere in between. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, we'll bring down the curtain on part one of our podcast but I've got many more questions for you coming up in part two, which is only a click away. Back shortly, please go to segment two with Larry Cassidy. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. 